Welcome to the Sports Honchos Radio Show, part of the Go Sports Media Company Radio Network. We're hoping you're here because you've just about had it with everyone and everything else. And you're looking for a pair of good-looking guys to tell it like it is, like it was, and how it should be. Or maybe you've got nothing else to do right now and you just need to waste some time. Either way, you might as well turn it up because it's time for the boys to get in your face, under your skin, over the top, and out of bounds. And now, here are your honchos, Paul Cuthbert and Robert Cuny. Are you ready, Mr. Cuny? I'm ready, Mr. Cuthbert. Well, let's go! Woohoo! Fired up, baby! It's Wednesday, April 14th. A night of honchos is on the menu. You're truly Mr. Paul Cuthbert from the great state of New York. And ladies and gentlemen, say hello to your favorite honcho and mine, Mr. Robert Cuny from the great state of Maryland. How are you, Mr. Cuny? Hi, greetings and salutations, everybody. I'm at least, you know, your second favorite honcho. I could say that. Maybe not your favorite. I'd like to think I'm in the top five in a room with only two honchos. Yes. You're <laughs> up there, the pal. Top. Thank you, you are, very much. You are up there. Up there. Um, how are you? What's going I'm on? I'm good. I, not much is going on. I think before we get started, you know, it's been a hallmark of the sports honchos that it seems like every time we flip on the Mike's hot switch, the live on-air light comes on, and some sports legend kicks the bucket. Oh, no. But no, no. No, but I'm here to say, I'm here to start off the show, Graham, by saying today nobody's dead that I know of, <laughs> but I do want to wish a happy 80th birthday to the man with the best haircut in baseball. That's right. Our pal, Pete Rose, is 80 years young today. This is not going to be the summertime doldrums death march, the baton death march of sports <laughs> Pete Rose show that we'll do, you know, in July, right after the All-Star break. But I just want to mention, he's 80, still kicking it, still not in the Hall of Fame, but at least we're not talking about a dead baseball legend today. Again, not at least as of 739. <laughs> the show is still young, though, so stay tuned. Watch well, your social I'm glad break. he's not dead. I'm also glad he's not in the Hall of Fame. All right. Now, we'll deal with that one in a couple months. Hey, but happy 80th, Pete. Other than that, I'm doing fine. That's good, buddy. Good Nothing to know. new under the sun. Yes. Here we are. April. The flowers 14th. are blooming. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. It's very colorful out there, especially on Long Island, buddy. How's it down there in uh, Land of Mary? Soggy. Soggy. It yeah. seems like it rains every other day here. But, you know, the, the, the cherry blossoms and the fake cherry blossoms are blooming. The leaves are coming back. People are, if traffic is any indication... Uh, the pandemic ended, you know, weeks ago. Isn't so the flowers the, are out and the, the cars truth, are though? out. Isn't that such a gauge? I <laughs> yeah. mean, there's a there's uh, not too far from every most towns have like a little Main Street restaurants, you know. And when you can't get parking, you know, the pandemic is over. Right. It, when I when it's when I actually have to look both ways when I cross the street, uh, I know the pandemic is over. There are certain places where I go on my afternoon run where i used to just just fancy free run across the street with my gazelle-like strides not worrying about any oncoming traffic and now now i actually have to take a peek both ways because you know god forbid 
gazelle. We do, is, a, uh, do a show live from the hospital. Well, if the gazelle, the word were, you is know, out thousand, on whether or not or, it's gazelle-like. You know, if the gazelle were a thousand years old and only had one leg, then it would be a gazelle-like stride. Mm-hmm. All so. right. But yes, well, traffic. I'm grateful I'm up here, and I yes. to no, see nobody that. wants to see that visual. <laughs> but yes, traffic seems to be the indicator that things are slowly coming back to normal. So cherry blossoms and traffic. That's what's blooming here in the state of Mary land. Very nice, man. Very nice. Very nice to uh, to know. Um, how are your Orioles doing? Really? We're going to dive into that? Well, I'm looking at the Major League Baseball standings. Oh, look, in third place in the AL East with a 5-6 and six record, my Baltimore Orioles. And who's holding up the rest of the division? Like Atlas with the world on his shoulders? Why? The New York Yankees. That's right, baby. Five and seven. We don't care about what happens in April. No, we I don't care about what April. happens in October. It's it. April. But I will tell you this. The Red Sox at eight and three, I'm happy to say those three losses hung on them by the Orioles. That's Not sure true. how they did that without sitting. A team that didn't hit a home run until their fifth game of the season managed to sweep the team that has the best record in the American League. But whatever. As again, it's April uh, we haven't lost 100 games yet, so there's that. That's enlightening. Yeah. I mean, I realize you've only played 11. It's hard to lose 100 when you've only played 11, but hey, in this COVID-soaked baseball season, you never know what could happen. This is so, true, good man. This good is times. Good time, indeed. Good time, indeed, indeed, indeed. So what do you got for us today on the cold open? Ooh, the cold, cold I got a couple open. of things for you. Uh, I, I, I was I might have misspoke when I said that nobody has died. Nobody oh, that no. people universally like and revere and respect has died. Again, as far as I know, at 742. But one of America's most infamous bags of shit Ooh. is now dead. And that would be your pal and mine, Bernie Madoff. Bernie, Bernie, Bernie Madoff. Madoff. See, I don't, know, I don't have that burning. I mean, hate I, for him. I, hey, you know, I, you I mentioned Pete Rose. I get a little fiery. Madoff, was, not so much. Well, I mean, you and I. Well, I let me not speak for both of us. I'm not the kind of person that would have gotten sucked into the Bernie Madoff or Madoff. It doesn't matter. He's dead now. I wouldn't have gotten sucked into Bernie's scheme. You know, if. if I'll let you know when I actually have two nickels to rub together. But he did take billions with a B of dollars from a lot of people and ruined a lot of lives. Now, those people are slowly getting that money back from the federal government and from the uh, prosecutors in New York. But, you know, the likes of and I know it's hard to feel sympathy for people like Steven Spielberg and Kevin Bacon, Kyra Sedgwick, the the former owner of the Mets, Fred Wilpon, because they have a lot of money. His victims already had money. But just the ripple effect of what he has done. A guy who got 150 years in prison and was never going to see the end of that sentence is no longer with us. And that's one of those times. Do we have a cause of death? A cause of death. Uh, Cause of death was not released. Now he did at one point uh, try to get early release from prison, staying in a terminal kidney failure and a life expectancy of less than 18 months. That was last February. So it was probably painful there at the end for him. Yeah, but the U.S. Attorney's Office So said we're okay no. with that. Right. The, in fact, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, in, in responding to Madoff's request to get out early, said, your crime was, quote, unprecedented in scope and magnitude, and, quote, is sufficient reason to deny your request. Sorry you're dying. Maybe you should have thought of that. 
before you swindled billions of dollars from, you know, pensioners. All right. And now onto something yeah, a little bad. happier. Okay. You know, I, I love surveys. Yes, we do know that. In fact, uh, I actually loved our survey says portion last yes. week and segment last week, and I'd like to do more of that. <laughs> well, you know, I like surveys and maps like we had with, you know, favorite foods and favorite Christmas tradition, whatever it was, fast food, Christmas traditions, Thanksgiving meals, whatever it was. This one, there's no map, but it's a – think of it as almost a, a, a March Madness Final Four bracket sort of survey by a group called YouGov. YouGov, iGov, we all gov. YouGov.com. I have no idea about this website other than somebody had the good sense to put this together. They asked people to choose the better of two states in a series of head-to-head matchups. States were rated based on the win percentage. That is how often the state won the head-to-head matchup when it was one of two states shown. So the gist is they show people two states and say, which one do you like better? And that's that's the whole methodology. 1,211 U.S. adults were asked to choose the better of two states from a list of 50 states and Washington, D.C., which as of now, still not a state, but whatever. Uh, they were asked the following prompt. Which of the following states is better? Each respondent saw seven matchups and no respondent saw a state twice. And then it was weighted and made all scientific. So here's the results. The number one state, can you guess what's the best state had the best winning percentage? It's not a surprise. Just I, take I, a guess. And it's not Oklahoma. No offense to the Oklahomans. Okay. Um, Texas. Texas came in at number 10. Oklahoma, by the way, number 35. Texas, number 10. And no, it was not Maryland. Maryland chimed in at a robust 26. So, hey, we're in the bottom Maryland 50%. Maryland doesn't win that much stuff. So we're in the bottom 50%, but, but we're in the top 75%. Your home state did finish in the top 10. Do number eight. Number eight. Number, number eight, one, baby. Hawaii well. at 69%. Not a surprise. Number two, Colorado. At 65%. In fact, the top 10 was not a surprise, except state number three. This one kind of surprised me. Virginia. Virginia comes in as a better place, a better state than, here was the rest of the top 10. Nevada, number four. Vegas, baby. Who doesn't love Vegas? North Carolina, number five. Uh, South Carolina, number 29. So more bragging rights for North Carolina. Uh, Six was Florida. Seven, Arizona. Eight, you know, the land of Cuthbert, nine, Georgia, and 10, Texas. Rounding out the bottom five is an interesting mix of states. You've got Iowa in the Midwest. Ever been? Iowa's, Have you ever Iowa's, been? No, but it seems like a harmless state. Are you state. ever going? Why it would be, am I ever going to Iowa? Are you ever going? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of, but, you know, the night is still young. See, you can use um, that. You know, when you, when you meet somebody and they say, mention a place and you say, hey, ever been? They say no. You say, have a going? They don't know. Good question. Good question. And then your third your third question is, let's should we go right now? In fact, <laughs> let's end the show. We'll fly out to Iowa. Iway. Iowa. And then we'll do a live remote from, you know, Des Moines. Is that <laughs> Iowa or Idaho? No, it's Iowa. Okay. And then you've got three states in the deep south Arkansas, Mississippi, and Alabama. Those are the those are four of the bottom five. And then at number 48, sandwiched in between Arkansas and Mississippi, 
New Jersey. 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 I don't know. That's one state I wouldn't piss off at putting down there at number 48. Because, you know. Hey, if you deserves get, you deserves get. Well. Hey, you ever been? Ever been to Jersey? Actually, yes, several times. Not just Atlantic City. Ever going back? (laughs) That's That's a... That's an even better question. And will I go back? Well, I survived, so maybe I will go back. Um, Anyway, it's a silly sort of poll with 1,211 people in a country of 320 million. But I see these things. I'm like a cat in tinsel. I'm totally distracted. You show me a survey. You show me a map of people's favorite things. I'm in. I'm in. In fact, Here's a little secret for you. The only reason I'm doing this podcast is so I have a place to talk about these things. <laughs> so there you go. To my captive oh, audience. Somebody get all, the phone. all of our Jersey honchos out there, we love you. Keep listening. You have a fine state. And if you're in Iowa listening to this, my advice to you is to seek shelter immediately. All right. Good luck to you. You got it. That was all very right. well done, Mr. Cuny. Thank you. I try. Another episode of useless information here on El Sporchos de Hanchos. That's, in fact, my whole career is just useless information. Now, come on. That's, you know, that wouldn't okay. go that far. I wouldn't go that far. Maybe not useless. People closer to you and your family would go that far. Not oh, me. they've already they've stopped talking to me. They're like, you know, I have a podcast? Oi, gavalt. We can't shut this guy up at family dinners, and now he's got a podcast? My family's going to move back to the Stone Age with no electricity. Sorry, I couldn't listen. We have no electricity or phone lines. Sorry, and I want to shout out to um, Adam Kaplan. Uh, we got an email from uh, from Minnesota, and uh, Adam writes, Hello, Robert. Found your podcast today. I hope it pays well. You actually heard from my stepbrother. Wow. There it is. <laughs> how, did, how did he get in touch with you? He sent it to uh, the uh, the general inbox here at Sports Honchos, Sports wow. de Honchos, de Sportos de Honchos. All right, so outstanding. So you yes, can e- you can email him back. I'll forward that to you, and you can tell him you. how much you're getting paid here on no. Honchos. Oh, let me tell you, it's all about the Benjamins. Yes, and you can make <laughs> the him, Benjamin Button. You can make him feel SM all. But yes, oh. that is uh, that is my older stepbrother who lives uh, in Minnesota with my other stepbrother, the good doctor. Obviously, so. he moved away, so he couldn't hear you talk about surveys. Yeah, so that's fantastic. I, I, you know, before the show, Paul said he had a surprise for me. That was one of them. I, that's one. Well, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any more surprises for me? No. You know what? And at our age, Paul, surprises aren't always a good thing. So I'll just, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I don't know that kind of surprise, but no. Um, well, that's very nice. So I'm glad someone in my family besides my mom is listening. So, um, so one thing I found out today <clears throat> that the, yes, sir, that I, I didn't think it was possible. <clears throat> but the Pittsburgh Pirates, as far as championships goes, mm-hmm. compared to the Baltimore Orioles, now here we go. <laughs> Their last one was '79. Well, there you over go. The, over the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles, by the way. Yes, I know. <laughs> This gives you such joy. Did you know the one before that? Was 71, 71 against the Orioles. <laughs> that was when the Orioles, you know, made it to three straight World Series and lost two of them. But, hey, you got to make uh, it. And the this is Pirates, what we tell ourselves. You, know, you they have haven't... to make it to lose them. 
They haven't done doodly squats since. A division championship in 92. A couple of wild cards there in 13, 14, and 15. But I want to thank the Pittsburgh Pirates for all their mediocrity. That the fact that the last time, the two two out of the four that they won was against Mr. Cuny's Baltimore Orioles. Thank you very much. That's what you get for bringing them up in the beginning of the show. Okay? Hey, you brought them up, not my me. Yankees. No, you, you said, you said, said hey, how's, hey. how are your Orioles doing? I did. I thought you were going to talk some smack, but setting then I realized, wait a minute. I was setting you up. I was setting you up for that surprise right there. You put that right on the T. Yeah. Um, and now that, now that I did true. that and I've, I've rubbed you the wrong way like I do with the Orioles, here's the other news. There's a good chance I might be coming down to Annapolis in the summer. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you and I can sit arm in arm and watch an Orioles game at Camden Yards. Yes. <laughs> Feeding each other popcorn. Yes. Wouldn't that be great? Yes, I'm eating popcorn right now. Um, so I oh. might bring the mics with me, buddy. Oh, well, I'm ready. All a little right. face-to-face live so get the, together. Get the apartment sort of cleaned up, all right? Get some steak knives, you know? <laughs> apartment. Uh, thank you. I actually live in a box. <laughs> but thank you for calling it an apartment. That's very generous of you. So when when are you making the big <laughs> pilgrimage? <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages while Paul composes himself. In the meantime, I will tell you that the Baltimore so Orioles have secretly together. decided. Ah, oh, he's back now. Get the hut cleaned up. <laughs> here we're here on the kibbutz. Uh, it's a lean-to with some grass and sticks and such. I, when I, are I, you? I don't I don't have exact dates yet. It's it's mm. questionable. It's up in the air, but it's possible. All right. Right. All right. And I, it looks like I'm bringing my guitar too. So, no, oh. that's, that's what's going on. I'll bring my maracas. Yes. <laughs> the banjo, whatever you got. A banjo right. that takes some real skill. I don't have that kind mm-hmm. of dex- manual dexterity with the fingers. The fingers. So the fingers. All right. So um, there was a little yes, round sir. ball played, wasn't there? What's or, or you know, I'm looking at the uh, the producer's waving at me right now. He's, he says there's something here about. Uh, power five. What's, what's that? You mean the five biggest stories, most important things we're going to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Now, it's, it's, you start with the first one is the Masters. Right. And you have that mixed in with our, you know, hardwood hockey and hardball section, and it doesn't work, Rob. I, I don't have any music for the Masters. But you know what? I can, I can work on something for you. So you want to talk about the Masters right now? I sh- you know what I should have done? Well, you know what we're not going to do? Everybody who talks about it plays that treacly CBS Sports piano music in the background, the official Masters theme song. And it just, it's sort of a cliche. But hey, while I'm talking, I'm sure now that I've said that, Paul is feverishly looking for it. No, so. I, w- I wouldn't do that. No, that, that, to me, that's boring. But, um, okay. But, we're, uh, we're, but we're, wait. wait. But wait, wait. How's that? For it. Does that work? Does this work? And now you can talk in a real serious golf what, voice. Uh, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> what am I listening Picture the drone flying over the greens at the Masters. And weaving in and out of the trees. Right? And then they're flashing up images of the golfers. And the lakes and the ponds. And then a seagull. Crashes Se- the seagull. Do seagulls hang out at golf courses? I'm probably not in Augusta, Georgia. A blue jay or a cardinal flies in 
and the drone spins towards the clubhouse, comes back in, and sees and me. Now Robert Cuny is there, <laughs> standing on the 18th green, long after everybody has gone home. Yes, and I'm like, where did that would be go? awesome. If seeing you on the 18th green with a microphone, one of those big with the big foam tips at the top, and, and the your big headphones CBS, on, CBS like take it away, Mr. Cuny. We're on the 18th hole now, with Mr. Robert Cuny, as he gives us his Masters recap. Yes, hello everybody and welcome. It's it was as always a tradition unlike any other. There I said it. It's law. It's required. Now I won't be sued by CBS. All right. So Sunday was the completion of the Masters, which is in my mind has always been golf, a golf tournament for non-golf people. You know, it's it's it kicks off spring. It has the most it for sports fans who love tradition and not a tradition like any other. It's always fun to watch, and it... As I... Sorry. I, sorry, happened? I went to the zoo for a minute. What was that? I went to the zoo for a minute. I apologize, everybody. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. We'll, we'll cut wait, that out oh, of post-production. Okay. Anyway, the Masters fills that void that's left in the, in the waning days. You've just come down from the NCAA championship... You got a couple days to go. Well, now what are we going to do? Because baseball is 162 games long. What's going to become of us? And you've got the Masters, and then the Masters kind of gets that, you know, the the Jones you have for more exciting sports out, and then you have the rest of spring and summer with basketball playoffs and hockey playoffs and the Major League Baseball season. So um, this year's tournament was won by Hideki Matsuyama, the first Japanese man no relation to, win- to Hideki Matsui. Of the you know, former New York Yankees. It's funny you said that. Every as I was preparing for the show and reading stuff about Hideki, I'm like, at some point I gotta I gotta say, I gotta make the Hideki Matsui reference because I I kept telling myself, don't call him Hideki Matsui. Don't call him Hideki Matsui. <laughs> different guy, different sport. Anyway, um, first Japanese man to win one of the PGA majors, third person from Japan to win a major. There are two other women. Uh, who've won major tournaments. Um, it was, he won uh, by one shot over Will Zalatoris, and we'll get to him. Sorry, Will, moment. almost, almost, buddy. Almost. Um, from a golf standpoint, it was a fairly uneventful uh, Masters. So Justin Thomas opened the tournament with a seven under on the first day, and people thought, well, that's it. It's over already. How can anybody... Uh, climbed that mountain, and it, he finished uh, far out of the money, I believe. Um, but once Saturday came, Mats, uh, Matsuyama, see, I almost did it. Matsuyama made his charge, and it was a foregone conclusion midway through Saturday and all through Sunday. There were a couple of upstart moments. Xander Shoffley made a run there in the back nine on Sunday. Zalatoris again came within one stroke. But really, um, it left very little doubt on Saturday and Sunday that Matsuyama was going to win. And it's, there's a lot to unpack. Great with band, by the way. Great band. Which band would that be? No doubt. Oh, no doubt. Yuck. Um, <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm totally derailed now. Okay. So look, the, the biggest thing, and we're not going to place junior sociologists here on the sports honchos. Come on, why not? Okay. But we, this- you promised me. That at some point we would play junior psychologists on this show. 
No, sociologists. Okay, fine. We'll, oh, we'll, we'll I, see, see, I miss. Psychology I right. is for down the okay. road in the summertime. I was on we'll a dip our toe in the stop pool. when you were telling me. Sorry. We'll dip in the, our toe in this pool just for a minute. But it's golf in Japan is huge. It there's baseball as number one, and then at worst at one A would be golf. Golf is they are golf crazy in Japan. Speaking of Adeki Matsui and people like Shohei Otani and the other Japanese baseball players that have come here, Ichiro. I don't know if you've noticed the, at least pre-COVID, the the entourage, the crowd of reporters just from Japan that follow their every move and report back to Japan. I mean, forget the American media, just the crush of the Japanese media alone um, that follow these baseball players. Well, it's really no different, again, without the COVID exception, it's no different for the Japanese golfers. And there is this, again, they're golf crazy there. You've been to Top Golf, yes? Or you've seen Top Golf? You know, the double decker driving ranges that the suburbs seem to have every few miles? Yeah, it's been a few years. Well, so they have. Middle shelf. Yeah, so they have the same thing except imagine them on steroids, multiple levels, yeah. three, four, five stories. Dear of Lord. just driving ranges. So you have to you have to remember, Japan is, and yes, I actually have the stats here. Japan is 377,915 square miles, uh, and the United States is 9,833,517 square miles, which is 2,500 times larger than Japan. And yet, there are, and the population is 125.5 million compared to 320 million here, um, so the United States is 26 times bigger than Japan. There, in Japan, they have the second most golf courses in the world after the United States. How are they doing so, that? They don't have so, the real estate. Right. They have. That's that's why they have these driving ranges everywhere that go. You know, sky high. There are 10 million golfers and 2,450 golf courses in Japan, as opposed to 25 million golfers and 13,600 golf courses in the United States. So can I ask you a question on that number? About the size of Calif- a state, a country about the size of California has 2,500 golf courses in it. It's unbelievable. The 25 million golfers here in the States, is that like mm-hmm. registered to clubs or are those, are you talking professional athletes? No, no, I think those are people that are members of golf clubs and include the, the professional. The number's that low? I thought it would be yeah. much higher. I thought there was well, 25 million golfers right here on Long Island, and we only have I 7 imagine, million people out here. I would imagine that that 25 million number, if you take all the people that play golf at the public courses, that number is much bigger. But you're probably right. This is probably golfers who belong to a country club, belong to a golf course, are members somewhere. But yeah, you're, the number of people who just play on the weekends at a public course, it's probably much, much bigger. So there is the weight of an entire nation on the shoulders of Matsuyama. And he managed to shake off that sort of pressure. And even though he hates the media and he hates the attention and he's very proud, which is why even though he knows English, he won't speak English in public because he doesn't want to embarrass himself with the command he feels he doesn't have in the English language, he sort of lifted himself and an entire country 
with this win. So he was carrying a lot more than just winning his first major um, and winning his first tournament since 2017 um, on his shoulders. And it showed us, because to me, what's interesting about the Masters is not so much going hole by hole, stroke by stroke, who did what, who didn't do this. Very but all dirty. the all the That's other subplots. Time of talk you're talking there. All the other subplots. Um, and by the way, before I continue, Matsuyama was not just some out of nowhere, out of the blue. Who is this guy? He's won thirty five million dollars so far on the tour. Wow. Um, he and was he, on the U.S. Number, tour. Yes, on the PGA Tour, he's number twenty five in the world. What did they make back in Japan? Uh, he's. I don't have those numbers, but I'm sure it's a lot. If he even I mean, plays, obviously now this guy's he's never going to have to buy a meal or anything. No, no he's. I would he, love again, to know has, this guy's background, like as far as like you know, does he come from a wealthy family? What's his story? What's his? Did he? How did he get into golfing and stuff? Well, the most interesting thing about him that I found is that he was the low amateur winner in 2011. So 10 years ago, as a teenager, he had the lowest amateur score at the Masters, which. You know, some he he joins people like Ben Crenshaw, and Jack Nicholas, and Tiger Woods as players who have done both, won the low amateur and then gone on to win the Masters. At the time, in April of 2011, this was a few weeks after the March 2011 uh, earthquake that took 20,000 lives in Japan, and he said, "I don't feel right about playing in the Masters, playing golf overseas." When my home, when there's been so much destruction, including his home and his country, not just his parents, but there was an outpouring of support in Japan. People saying, you have to go and play. We need this. We, as the, the Japanese, we need to show that an earthquake is not going to prevent us from displaying the pride of our nation on the world stage. I mean, you have to remember, if we want just a little history lesson, that after World War II, as Japan rebuilt itself, there's a tremendous amount of pride in how quickly Japan was able to reindustrialize and rebuild its economy. And they it's a country that takes pride in overcoming tremendous obstacles and tremendous odds and being able to compete with countries much bigger and much more powerful. So this is no different. This, you know, uh, telling Matsuyama, go play despite the earthquake is right along the same sort of storyline. And that's why this win on Sunday to be the first golfer from Japan, and she's not the first ever golfer to play on the tour from Japan, but he's the first one to win the Masters. I mean, winning the Masters of all the tournaments in golf. If you only win one golf tournament as a PGA professional, it's the Masters and everything else is second place. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that kind of internal pressure. I'm going to get to why I, I think golf is so impressive when it comes to internal pressure in a moment. So anyway, he's number 25 in the world. Um, he's going to play the Masters forever now because once you win, you get to play every year regardless of your world. I did world not record. know that, Mr. Cuny. Yeah. You get a lifetime pass. Wow. Lack of a better word uh, to play in the tournament once you've won once. And – Another thing the Masters gave us, and one reason we love sports, you and I and everyone who's listening to this love sports, we love sports for the little moments. Sure, we love sports for the big moments, like winning a championship, and unbelievable plays and streaks and records and so on. But it's the small moments that 
we love about sports. And I don't know if you've seen the the replay of this, but after Matsuyama sank his last putt on 18 and he pretty much assured his victory, um, the one thing that all caddies do, you know, they, when they put this, the, the flag stick back into the hole, every time you win a tournament on the PGA, whether it's a Masters or some, you know, regional tournament, the flag from that pin is given to the winner, a sort of a souvenir. Mm-hmm. So the so Matsuyama's caddy took the flag, gave it to Matsuyama, and then the caddy, also Japanese, bowed to the course as a show of respect to the course and to the fans and to the traditions. And it was just it. I'm talking about it now. Kind of gives me a chills. It's something you don't see. You know, it's that small little moment of, you know, upholding the traditions of your home country. And it was just, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And that's one of those moments that every sport gives you that says, you know what, being a sports fan, this is why I am a sports fan. This is what's so cool about being a sports fan. Not that there aren't little moments in all their walks of life, but it's not just, you know, meatheads beating the snot out of each other in the frozen tundra. Sometimes it's the small things that give you great joy about being a sports fan. So it was a, I'm not going to make this a bigger deal. There, well, there you've are some already made it a big deal. Well, pal. but there are you've some hysterical, hysterical columnists out there that think you know this is the greatest thing to happen in sports, especially given the climate of our country right now. I'm not going to go that far. I think it was a great moment for golf and for sports, amongst a sea of great moments. The other thing this tournament gave us is this runner-up Will Zalatoris, who did come out of nowhere to finish second. I believe he pocketed a cool million dollars um, and is now ranked 27th in the world. Prior to this golf tournament, many of you remember him uh, from the movie Happy Gilmore. And I believe we have a clip of Adam Sandler and Will Zalatoris on the course together. And do you want to hear that? Well, yes, that would be fantastic. Hey, where are you going with those clubs, punk? Mr. Gilmore, I'm your caddy. Oh, I'm sorry about that. No, 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 let me carry these, all right? They're my grandfather's. They're pretty old. Well, what should I do then? I don't know. Why don't you just watch me and make sure I don't do anything stupid, okay? Mr. Gilmore, Mr. Lafferty will be teeing off now. All right. Good luck, buddy. Get out of the way. So, yes, prior to the Masters, everybody knew Will Zalatoris as the guy who was the caddy in Happy Gilmore. I say that because he looks so shockingly like the actor who played the caddy. In fact, even Adam Sandler was tweeting comments about Will Zalatoris during the Masters, agreeing that he's the scarecrow-like face and body of Will Zalatoris, spitting image for this caddy. Anyway, he comes out of nowhere. He's like 160 pounds soaking wet. Uh, Somebody described him as an exclamation point playing golf, and yet he's a prodigious driver. So we're going to see him again. It's another new face on Torrey's Young. And look, with Tiger Woods' sideline, they may never play again. It's good to see more names, more stars emerging in golf because, you know, quite frankly, 
you can't talk about Tiger Woods forever. You can't cling to the carcass that was Tiger Woods from 20 years ago forever. The game's got to evolve. The game's got to move on. But I've made my feelings on that. It's a little insensitive using the word um, carcass. <laughs> but, but it's true. Tiger's recent, you know, accident. Well, that, that's I mean, true. But you know me, Mr. Sensitive. Hey, was, uh, was Phil around for this tournament? Uh, Mickelson, I believe, barely made the cut. Mickelson is now tearing up. I see him doing the commercials. Sen- the senior tour, what they call the champions tour now. Um, but I, I fear that his days of being competitive on the PGA tour may be behind him. Again, he made the cut, but barely. Um, and then was a non-factor on the second day. So one last thing on golf, if I may. Oh, please, please continue. Continue on with the golf talk on the hot One show. last thing. By the way, can I just say, say something? I know you got really emotional about the, uh, the Japanese caddy there, Bowen. I got to tell you, I probably would have suspected that that was going to happen. Being that, you know, they're all Japanese and all. Well, you're so cosmopolitan. <laughs> you're so worldly, Mr. Cuthbert. I mean, I know you said you got chills. I got chills, like, hearing you got chills. <laughs> all right, you're done. <laughs> Anyway, one last thing on golf, and then we'll never talk about it again until next April. Um, golf, what makes golf unique, and this is going to go back to Matsuyama carrying the weight of the pressure of his country on his shoulders, or not carrying it because it didn't really phase him. In all sports, individual or team sports, or out of all those sports, golf is the only one where it's all you. The only thing that a golfer competes against is the golf course. There is no other competitor on the course that can stop you from playing the best that you can play. There's no defensive back. There's no goalie. There's no center standing at the basket trying to block your shot. There's no cars trying to bump and run you off the track in NASCAR. It's just you. And the only thing that can stop you, can stop a golfer, is that golfer him or herself. So it doesn't matter how great everyone else is playing. Nothing could stop Matsuyama from winning except Matsuyama. And so his biggest enemy on Sunday was not the course, but it was the weight of expectations. And if you're mentally strong enough to sidestep those expectations or the weight of it and not let it get to you, hey, you know, you're going to come out the other side as a winner. I mean, there's nothing to stop everyone in a golf tournament from shooting, you know, five to 10 strokes below par. That's what makes it so unique. Yes. Every course is different. That's pretty cool too. But the fact that it's just you, no one comes up and takes the golf ball away from you, stops you from swinging your club. It's just pressure. And if you can beat the pressure, it doesn't matter how far you can drive the ball. It doesn't matter how uh, great your short game is doesn't matter your size, the shape, or condition you're in. It's right here. It's right upstairs in the old Rob gray is pointing so, to his head, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sorry. Said, right I know here. we're not on TV yet. Anyway, that's why, as, even though I'm not really the biggest golf fan, I can't sit and watch a tournament because I have the attention span <laughs> well, of a you're, gnat. You're freaking – you certainly sound like somebody who watched every hole of this gosh damn tournament. 
Well, you know, we do do a little sports show. We probably shouldn't ignore one of the biggest sports events on the calendar. So I did my homework. And as I said, that's enough golf talk until next Masters. No, we're not done yet because I have an expert on golf right now that I would just like to add to this conversation to wrap this little segment up, okay? Outstanding. And for all of you who turned off your... I have solved this problem. I know where we can build housing for the homeless. Golf courses. Perfect. Super sky point for the late George Carlin. Tell him, Georgie. Just what we need. Plenty of good land in nice neighborhoods. Land that is currently being wasted on a meaningless, mindless activity. (laughs) Engaged in. Engaged in primarily by white well-to-do male businessmen who use the game to get together to make deals to carve this country up a little finer among themselves. Thank you, I'm Mr. Collins! Really getting tired of these golf... And it goes on and on and on. I uh, would recommend everybody to watch that. Right, so all of you who went out for a smoke during the golf talk, you can come back now. We're going to talk about the sports you actually like. <laughs> Look, good stuff there, Mr. Cooney. On the golf, on the Masters. You know what the Masters means to me? Um, I'm afraid to ask. It's springtime, baby. (laughs) And it's summer. Summer's on the way. And now it's time to go to the hardwood, the diamonds, and the hockey rinks. Because the Masters reminds me of baseball season and hockey playoffs and the NBA playoffs. And we're going to sing about it right now. Mr. Cooney, let me see your hands, buddy. No. Come on! Woo! Time for some hockey, some hardball, and baseball. Can't say hot stove anymore. It's over. Hot stove's over. That used to be my thing. The stove is always warm. That's what I said. But now it's, I don't know. Something else. Oh, hit the hitters, maybe? Time for hockey. You know? Oops. And the hitters? Time for hockey! Oops and the hitters! Sounds good to me. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we got, buddy? NHL uh, trade that dime passed. Yes, and it looks like the big winner. The team that made the most news, this guy's hometown, Washington Capitals. You think so? Uh, well, I mean, you can talk about the Bruins getting Taylor Hall from no, the Sabres. No, if you that want. doesn't impress me. No, that's not okay, really impressive. But... I got so, my impressive trade, and then you can talk about yours. Do you want to go? Actually, why don't you give me no, yours first? No. You want me to go first? Yes, why don't you go first? Then I'll talk about the Caps and Anthony Mantha. Well, I, I think the Leafs getting Felino is huge in terms of – I've always thought that team is a bunch of push, you know, pushovers. and. You I know. thought you were going to say something else. Yeah, I know you would. <laughs> well, I, I might. I might say something else, but I'm not a disrespectful guy like that, you know? Um they certainly play that way sometimes. But that seems to be the the problem with the Leafs, you know, over the last couple of years. They've got all these pretty boys playing for them, all making a lot of money, and they haven't really been able to get over the hump yet. Yeah, granted, they're still um, young and, and new. But they brought in Jumbo Joe Thornton, um, you know, experienced guy, uh, big guy too. And then, um, but getting Felino is a, is a guy who's a hard, you know, worker, hard noser. He's a gifted skill guy he's a great leader he's like grit he's like a Bergeron kind of guy he's a you know just a just a guy that can get in there and mix things up and and um I think this is going to be pretty good for uh for the Leafs if he can stay healthy and um 
jump into this top six uh, of this this lease because they seem to have the goaltending figured out. Uh, even though they they lost in overtime, uh, I think last night to the Flames, uh, but they had that new guy uh, that they just brought an extra guy in. I can't remember his name, Dillich, I think, I believe. But Campbell has stepped in there for for Anderson, who's been out, and he won ten, eleven in a row, broken all kinds of records. So you got Tavares, and you have Nylander, and you have Matthews. Um, it goes up and down the line with this incredibly offensively talented team. But one of the things that they thought that this team will be lacking, which you certainly need in the playoffs, is some tough guys in there, some grinders, uh, and some extra kind of leadership. So they've got that with Joe, and they, I think they definitely got that now with Nick Foligno. And it was also very cool to see him go there too because I'm an old, I love the early 90s Leafs teams, Doug Gilmore, and, and uh, his dad, uh, Foligno, was on that team as well. There's great memories of those guys trying to win the Cup. Obviously the Kerry Frazier thing with the stick against the Kings. Uh, great series against the Wings and the Blues back then. They were just incredible hockey games. And uh, so I think that's uh, – this might help. I, I still – I joke the Leafs are going to get knocked out in the first round. But um, I thought this was gutsy from them. I'm surprised that they got them, and we'll see what happens. But I thought that was probably one of the better deals made at the trade deadline. And it was. Yeah, he was um, certainly sought after, I believe um... – he was a candidate to go uh, to the Bruins. The Bruins were trying to land him if they didn't get Hall. I believe he was the other person on their list, So, from what I read. But the Caps made the kind of trade that even I, as someone who doesn't like the rental rent-a-player sort of, you know, when, like when we got Kevin Shattenkirk and we rented him for a couple months only to lose him again in the next season, this is the kind of trade that shows that the Caps are all in on this season. They got Anthony Mantha from Detroit and last night in his caps debut, uh, the six, one win over the flyers. He had a goal and an assist. So immediately paying dividends for the caps. He's 26 years old and he has three years left on his contract. And he's, huge. I'm not a, yes. And he's six, five. He's basically oh a left-handed. He's basically a left-handed Tom Wilson, except without the, you know, the toughness, the tenacity and the or the penchant for getting, you know, thrown out of games everywhere he goes. Um, he's immediately going to fit in. He's going to be the left wing on the second line on the Backstrom and Oshie line. That gives us a pretty mean top six. Um, our first two forward lines. I, I put them up against any, any other team in, in the NHL. So, oh, by the way, congratulations, Nicholas Backstrom playing his 1000th game tonight for the Capitals. Just wanted to throw that out there. Anyway, they gave up, okay, two players, Richard Ponick and Jacob Rana, and a first-round pick this year and a second-round pick next year. Now, normally, this is the kind of deal that if I had any hair, it would make me pull all my hair out because there's, to me, there's nothing worse, whether it's baseball or hockey, where you see this predominantly, a team renting a player for the stretch run and giving up assets. And the thing is, unlike a rental car, well, or like a rental car, when you give the rental car back, you don't get your money back when you turn the car in. So when you when these rental players inevitably go on and sign with different teams, you don't get those assets back. So either you win and you get a cup, which is far more valuable than all those assets, or you lose and now your your franchise is weakened going forward. This time, however, they're getting a guy who they're going to have under contract for three years. He's... On five-on-five situations, there's this stat out there that rates players in five-on-five situations, like how much better the team is in terms of puck possession, shot selection, blocked shot, I'm sorry, shot selection, 
attempted shots, shots on goal, goals, et cetera. How much better your team is with a player on the ice versus when they're off the ice? And apparently he's this guy, Mantha, is number two in the NHL. The wings were 6% better with him on the ice than in five-on-five situations than when he was off the ice. Number two in the league. So they get a guy who may not score a lot, but when he is on the ice, the economy of shots, the shot selection, the smarts, taking the good shots. He's huge. All those things go up. Yes. And again, he's six in, in fact, In fact, he's bigger than both Wilson and Ovechkin, who are both things 6'4", 6'3", 6'4". We gave up Richard Ponick, who was on his way out, and he was on our taxi squad. And Verana, who was a number one pick for us a few years ago, Although he's productive and he you know, helped us win a cup in 2018, uh, both head coach LaViolette and general manager Brian McClellan, they've kind of soured on him. They tired of his attitude, his body language, and just his general attitude lately. They were getting tired of it. And where they was said, ice, they, where was, do, you, do you know any idea where his ice time was at? You know, I don't, but he's, you know, he's was not playing as much as he's had in So he was the bas- last they were basically season. weaning him out anyway. I don't know if they're weaning him out as much as they were hoping that he would turn around. It's not the the on ice play. Mm-hmm. It's not the game. It's it's just Laviolette and McClellan at a press conference after the trade, they talked about it's not so much his performance on ice, it's just we see him in practice and we talk to him and we get this attitude from him and this body language that he just doesn't want to be here. So they shipped him off, which in Caps land, anytime a young player like a Verona is shipped off, uh, it, it brings back horrible memories of the Philip Forsberg for Martin Erat trade, which was a disaster for the Capitals. Philip Forsberg turned out one of Nashville's best players. Forsberg, what, what a draft that was for the Caps, by the way. Tom Wilson and Forsberg both in the first round. Could have been the foundations for you know, the team for years to come, as it is. Wilson's been great, rock, solid, cornerstone of the franchise. Anyway, we gave up really nothing that wasn't on the way out anyway. Again, Ponick was on the fast track to nowhere, so he was on the taxi squad. He was waived and put on the taxi squad, and Verona didn't want to be here. So uh, the Caps obliged. And there's this article um, in The Athletic by Pierre Lebrun about trading away draft picks because there was this notion that the Caps kind of got fleeced by giving up a first and a second round draft pick and two players for Mantha. But in this in this year and last year and in the years that are coming, we're going to have a flat cap situation. Where the salary cap is going to stay the same at best. So the trend now is to trade assets for cap relief. So the Caps over the next two years are going to have $5 million in cap relief, even though they're not going to have those draft picks, they're going to be able to retain the players they have and make another run with that cap space. Like the, the, the article points out that the defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning, they're way over the cap and they have only 14 players under contract for next season. So they're in deep guacamole. So it was a good trade. They're, they're going to win the cup this year and it's not going to matter. Who? The Caps. The, the, the Ning? Well, hey, if that's the case, yes, that would be great. It's then we lock. don't care it's about guaranteed. draft picks. You heard it right but here. Wednesday, April 14th. Well, maybe, maybe we'll meet the— From uh, one hot show to another. We'll meet the Leafs in the Eastern Conference Finals if they even do that this year, um, which they won't because they have that weird sort of playoff setup. The only thing that surprised me about the trade deadline for the Caps is they didn't get a goalie. They don't need you know, I mean, 
I thought for sure the only veteran presence they have on the team is Craig Anderson, speaking of the taxi squad. So they've decided, Laviolette's decided, look, we're going to roll with Samsonov and, and, and Vanacek and, and hope for the best, which, and, I mean, look. And try and score having, seven goals a game. Yeah. I mean, as long as you score seven and they score six, hey. Hey, look, when Cedeno's out there, you basically have a goaltender plus a tree. True. So every other shift, you know, you're okay. And also the Caps are getting a little bit younger with the signing of Manta. For the next three years. They're going to be so. all right. I can't. They, they've got three games in a row against the Icelanders. And I can't yep. wait to sit Look, back be... with a bowl of popcorn and yep. watch that. I um, I applaud this move. McClellan has turned out to be a pretty good general manager. You know, let's not forget, you know, what George McPhee did. McPhee couldn't get us over the hump. And now McClellan takes over. Uh, you know, McPhee's off, went off to Vegas, but McClellan took over and he's, he's done some pretty good things, but this is a great trade. So I hope it's what gets over the hump. He's got got a great coach. He brought in Chara. He's got Manta in there now. He's already got a really good squad here and Ovi's the best, you know, I mean, if it's not Ovi, it's Sid. So, you know, it's a good squad. With his uh, with his twentieth goal, by the way, that's uh, every season now that he's been in the NHL, he's scored at least twenty goals. <laughs> I was going to do that, but I didn't. I didn't continue my uh, yeah, hockey career. No. I had plans on doing that, but it didn't work out. We all had plans to continue our hockey careers. Yeah. And sometimes I also things- liked uh, Montour going to Florida from Buffalo. Thought that was really good. You know, Ekblad went down with the uh, injury, so I think that's pretty good for them. <laughs> the star-crossed career of Jack Eichel. <laughs> Well, Jack's just got, I don't know what, Buffalo's, man. Whew. You talk about the yeah. Orioles, you know, and then you got to just think about the Buffalo Sabres. It's just like, just really losing bad franchise. Horrible. But a team that, you know, you think losing franchises and you think teams that have done really nothing in, in their, their franchise's history. Buffalo's had some great players, some great coaches. They have a yeah, lot but, of tradition. Yeah, and you think... That's the kind of, of town, the they kind did of up team until about, that needs a cup. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about through 99, the early 2000s. But since then, since it Lindy's departure, um, it's, been, it's been pretty tough up there. They had a lot. Like I said, I mean, you know, I joke about the Sabres, but I, I love them. They're New York team. Um, but everything from the Nolan to LaFontaine to – ownership to i mean it's just it's it's bad up there and they they i mean as a fan base whew. you know we had to do a show one night there mr cuny about some like losing franchises and their fan bases you know and especially the years of i mean it's amazing how you can take the cubs off of that list the last couple of years you can take the mm-hmm. red Sox off of the, uh, the list the last couple of years the, the cleveland cavaliers the off cleveland that list cavaliers but you know the Indians are still there. The Browns are still there. You know, right. we should do that. We'll, maybe uh, we'll have a show there where we just kind of roll around and look at some of the um, the misery. Of I mean, I mean, those the New York Jets. Yes, those fans are real fans. People that can. They it's are. easy to be a fan of a team all. that wins all the time. It's hard. Actually, it's really hard to be a fan of a team that had a, gl- a run of glory and then has since slowly or sometimes quickly fallen down the mountain. Like so, the Pittsburgh Buffalo, Pirates after the seventies, right? Or my Wolfed skins after nineteen ninety two. Or the Islanders after nineteen eighty three. Yeah, we could go on and on and on. We could, 
There's no doubt. But we have to go on and on and on here at we the Honchos. So, um, anyway, the NHL uh, season is uh, it's been great. We got a month left here. Oh, the Vancouver Canucks. While we're on hockey, yes, they're gonna make it. Uh, they are gonna make it. We didn't but think they were the gonna NH- make it. No, but uh, apparently J.T. Miller of your Vancouver Canucks is pretty unhappy that they're coming back to play so quickly. I put that in quotes. And the NHL has this cockamamie idea, maybe, if you think it's cockamamie, about postponing the playoffs so that Vancouver can get in their last uh, four games against Ottawa. And I know Vancouver is fighting for a playoff spot, but... Not really. That seems... Well, they're, I say fighting for it. They're not... It's not out of the realm of possibility that those four games nah. might mean something. Nah. But... Why bother at this point? There's also some chatter that they might start the Ameri- the U.S. part of the playoffs and then let uh, the Canadian teams catch up after the Ottawa, fin- Ottawa after Vancouver finishes their season. But that seems a little nutty to me. It seems like you just write those games off and say, you know, sorry. They can't. Or, it has to do with the, the draft lottery and all this, this. There's so much involved here that it just can't be – that's what you would think initially. Well, why don't they just cancel the season? They're not going to make the playoffs, right? You just can't do it because of the ramifications it has for the top three, the top four teams in terms of uh, playoff positioning, number one. But then the big thing, too, is is, is the draft, you know? So where, right. do you, where do you put them for the draft lottery? How does that work, you know? I mean, it, to me, this is a simple solution, but probably stupid, which is kind of what I do. No. If 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 they opt out the rest of the season, just the Canucks, then couldn't they, for draft purposes, just hang, you know, an L for each game that they've missed? But then would that propel them to the top of the standings artificially, or to the top of the the lottery standings artificially? You're right; it's a little more complicated. Yeah, the only way they can do they have to play the games, right? So they're extending it here a little bit to get them in, and and I think at the end of the day. If they can do this safely, and if they can get it done in and around everything else that's going on in the league and this playoff rush here, what, 14, 15 games left in the season for most of the teams outside of, you know, a couple who have uh, games in hand because of uh, COVID protocol in the beginning or whatever. But, you know, that for the league, you know, Rob, we talk, it's it's all about money. It's all about sports. It's all about um, making it um, whole, I guess. So the league will be able at the end of this season – no matter how this thing ends up for the Canucks one way or another, but it will it'll be at least done on paper, in the rinks, on the scoreboards, so they can kind of just, all right, see, we did it, we got it done, and now we don't have to worry about all that other stuff. And, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. You know, you know. That's, that's, as you know, as Don Omar once said, the answer to all your questions is money. I, I'm looking at the, the NHL standings here. Look, they're, uh, the, the top four teams – I should say top three teams. You got uh, Toronto at 60 points. You have Winnipeg at 53 points, Edmonton at 52, and then Montreal at 45. I suppose the way the big the big question here is, will the Flames be able to catch Montreal for that fourth spot? But playing, you know, far less games, Vancouver's only nine points or ten points back of Montreal, and I realize that's a lot of ground to make up, but They've played, uh, you know, two less games than the Canadians. They played five less games than the Flames. 
So I guess I see the argument for keeping the season, but the whole postponing the playoffs thing just to let Vancouver catch up, especially if those games turn out to be meaningless, you know, how does that impact the teams that are getting ready for the playoffs? I know. It's long-term. They're hoping to flip this whole thing over next year and get back to normal. Yeah. So they've come this far, and nobody's, quote-unquote, thankfully nobody's gotten deathly sick. Nobody's died. They get through this, and like I said, the almighty doll, let's get this running here. Right. Let's make it I just feel bad. If you're you're primed and ready for the playoffs, you're ready to go. Let's go, go, go. Let's hit the ice running, to mix my metaphors. Um, And then you got to wait. Okay, let's wait while we – there's four meaningless games between Ottawa and Vancouver. Anyway, this is is why I don't get paid to be the commish of any of these leagues. So – We'll yeah, see. And, and hey. these are definitely we we talked about it here too. I mean, it was like who who wants to have that job, you know, of nah. making those kind of decisions. Yeah, but hockey, I, I think, as we've said earlier this season, um, hockey seems to be leading the way. They figured out a way to keep the lights on and get these things happening with much more efficiency than the uh, than the uh, NBA or Major League Baseball. I guess football did it too, but that's an outdoor sport of the indoor sports especially or sports that are played indoors as well as outdoors. Um, the NHL was leading the way. So, yeah, I got to hand it to Gary Bettman. A lot of his decisions, at least in this respect, have uh, turned out to be good ones. And I never thought I would say that about Gary Bettman. And last <laughs> thing on this, don't forget that the Kraken are coming in next year. So it's an expansion yes. draft. And that also, that's why this whole thing with Vancouver has got to go are they going to set that up the way they did for Vegas and ensure that Seattle gets to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year of existence? Oh, man, that would be something else. I tell you, I love the jerseys. We've, yep. just, we've talked about the logo here. Yep. But I love the jerseys. I love the colors. Yep. As do I. It'll be, uh, it'll so be fun. Good, good luck to them. Yes. Good luck indeed. So shall we move <laughs> on to the uh, Major League Baseball um, Sports League? And uh, sure. do a little a little talk on. Um, I know uh, today, um, Commissioner uh, Manfred there is uh, releasing some new rules here. Possibly in the Atlantic League, they're they're going to experiment with the um, the uh, moving the pitchers mound back. I think a foot or something like that. Um, and obviously, we've got all the other rule changes. Um, and I think you, you wanted to talk about uh, an article about um, instant replay. I believe. Yeah. Um, you know, this week we've had uh, two replay fiascos um you had uh the conforto controversial hit batsman that gave the mets a win over the marlins and then you had in the phillies and that was a joke Brave. by the way which part was the joke <laughs> that they allowed that to stand yeah and then you well then you had the phillies and braves and uh bomb alex bomb of the phillies clearly not touching the plate when he was tagged by Darno of the Braves and there was no replay. And let me just say at the outset about baseball and replay. Okay. There's 162 of these played. I highly doubt the season's going to turn on one game. So there's a lot of hand wringing and teeth gnashing about instant replay. I think it's a little overstated in a season that's 162 games long. But that being said, I understand if you are a fan of those teams that got jobbed, then it is a big deal. So I'm rolling uh, my Rosenthal, eyes, by the way. As Mr. K- I know you can't see this out there, folks, but I'm rolling my eyes. And that's fine. Okay, 
So Ken Rosenthal wrote an article for The Athletic called Five Possible Ways to Improve MLB's Instant Replay System, and I just wanted to run them by you quickly and see if you agree, disagree, and then I have my own I don't sort have of a bell, idea but I have at a the pen. end. Okay, so the first, his first suggestion, he has five of them. The first suggestion was uh, to ignore the call in the field. Now, that doesn't mean you just ignore rules. The way the replay works is the umpire makes a call, and then if it's going to be reviewed, it's reviewed by uh, a small number of people in New York um, who review from afar, review the play, um, and then relay it back down to the umpire, say whether, you know, yay or nay. So Rosenthal's first suggestion was, well, uh, don't have the – when it goes to review in New York, don't say how the umpire is ruled on the field. So that way there's no preconceived notions um, of what – so New York doesn't get the call and say, well, this guy was out. What do you think? They just say, here's the play. How would you rule on this? Which is not, again, how they do it. What they do is they say to New York, this guy was ruled out. What do you think? So um, – Rosenthal actually thinks this is a terrible idea, and I, you know, what I, I don't know uh, how I feel about that one. I don't. I feel like perhaps the umps should. Well, I'm uh, confused. If you don't mind, okay, I'm sorry. I, I'm yes. I'm the guy who gets confused on these shows with you, so I'm confused. Okay, okay? Mm-hmm. you're saying ignore the call on the field. Right, so in the in the Conforto, well, but hold on, batsman. Okay, go on. When you watch a baseball game, right, mm-hmm. you see what happens. Right. So in that moment, the umpire has to make a call. Correct. So how do you ignore the call on the field if he has made the call? The fans, the TV, the radio, everybody's seen the call. What am I missing here? How do you, okay, so how do you allegedly, ignore the call? There's an operations center in New York. They've had it since 2014. I know, Vinny Vega Donuts, Tony Slappa Cheese, right, and right. Johnny Pizza knows. <laughs> right. Okay. All our favorites. No offense. Uh, they're the ones that are responsible for reviewing these calls. So what Rosenthal is suggesting is when it goes to New York, just – Let's pretend for the sake of argument that they're sequestered from the games. They're not watching the games on TV at the same time as they're trying to make judgment calls. So the call will come up to the operations center saying, for instance, in the Conforto hit batsman, take a look at this at bat. How would you rule? Without saying, take a look at this at bat, we've already ruled that he was hit by the pitch. So the operations center will ignore the call in the field and make a, a an unbiased, and I'll put this in quotes, unbiased sort of clean approach to the review. So they don't have a preconceived notion that the umpires were right or that the umpires were wrong. All right, I'm I'm going to try and follow that, but go ahead. And I'm not sure that I I it just you know what Can that we just sounds number one off the list. Yeah, that just to me sounds like <laughs> it would just delay things even longer. Yes, thank you okay. very much. All right, the second rule: uh, make more calls reviewable. Uh, to this one, I say absolutely not. Replay already bogs down uh, the games as it is. So having yet another uh, way to delay it, okay, by having more calls reviewable, I say no. But with a caveat we'll get to 
as soon as I finish this. Number three, replace the umpires at the command center with independent experts. So right now, I believe the people in the command center are former umps. They would be – they'd have nothing to do with baseball, not former players, you not former umps. That. Just people, Scratch that off the list. Just people that know the rules. I, I happen unless, to think – Unless they hire me and you because that would be great. Right. I happen <laughs> to think this one has a little bit of merit. That way you can say well, – Let's go guy, to CUNY you know. and Cutbutt in New York and let's get this call right. on the field. Let's go to the, uh, the rules honchos. I kind of like this one. I'm not going to lie to you. I like no, Rosenthal's. All right, go ahead. I want to hear why you like it, but I'm, okay. I'm no. Next well, no, I, I you like it have because, experienced people in there. Because the whole independent thing, um, but you can, look, you and I could study the rules of baseball. I mean, unless you're talking about putting my neighbor across the street who's an umpire for, you know, high school no, baseball. What, what Rosenthal is saying is, the, game. Right, the guys on the field, those are your experienced umps. The guys that are reviewing the calls only have to know the rules. It doesn't matter if you've ever umpired a single game. All right, I get you. And I would say there's something there's something clean about that, something unbiased about just rules experts reviewing. Again, none of these things, by the way, are going to be enacted. This is just what Rosenthal thinks might fix replay. Well, then now, now you have this scenario. The expert, the rules expert. Hey, Johnny, let's say, let's pretend the home plate umpire's name is Johnny. Of or, course. Or Enrico Palazzo. Right, I was just thinking the same thing. It's Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> hey, Enrique Palazzo, the rules expert in New York, Jerry Bag of Donuts, he says it's a strike or whatever the heck it is, whatever the play is. Now you're going to get the guy go, but I'm an experienced umpire. I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing here. How does this guy in New York who's never refed or, or umped a game in his life get to make a call on this? What about that? I don't know. So scratch I'm too busy that thinking, off the list. I'm too thinking about too busy thinking about Enrique Palazzo, Enrico Palazzo. All right, here's the fourth one. Add a fifth umpire. So instead of the operations center, you'd have a fifth umpire, fully paid like the rest of them, on the field, whose sole job it would be to initiate review. To which I say, get that one out of here. It should only only the managers should be initiating review and not another ump. You know, it, it feels like if you want to review, it should be you should be an aggrieved party, uh, not someone who's independently initiating these things. And the last one, which I think is total ridiculousness, offer more transparency. So find out who it is that's making these calls in New York. All that does is fuel a mob mentality oh, about and it, make yeah. and make angry baseball fans even angrier. Now they know the name. But what are they going to do? Are they going to show up at this person's house and say you ruined my life because you you, we lost a game, and so instead of losing 100, 100 games, we lost 101 games. Please, get out of here. My advice would be very simple. Okay, make more calls reviewable. Wait, but let it be only only initiated by managers. But like football, give them a limited number of challenges. So they have to have more discretion. Sure, you can review whatever you want. But if you, if you'll pardon the expression, if you blow your wad in the second inning – then later in the game, when the games get tighter and the pressure's on, you're out of challenges. That, to me, seems like a good sort of compromise position. But I go back to what I originally said about replay. In a, game of, in, a, in a season of 162 games, to quibble over replay in a game in April seems like the kind of thing you do if, I don't know, say you have a podcast. Well, that I disagree with you. Audiences. That I disagree <laughs> with you because 
It has to be. I don't like that Mets game. I mean, come on. It was so wrong. It was so obvious. And yeah, you know what? At the end of the season, as long as it is, and I joke about it more than anybody else, there's 739 baseball games left. You know, at the end of the day, let's say there's a pennant race or there's a playoff issue. It's all about getting it right. The only reason you're doing instant replay is to get the call right. They got that wrong. Right, and if it's not getting the calls right at an alarmingly high rate, what's yeah? That's the point. Is if it's not getting it, if it's not getting the calls, here's my thing. Yes, everything that's on the field, get rid of the cameras. Just keep the human element into it. We've all grown up with it as kids and stuff. We make mistakes. Players make mistakes on on the field, whether they don't, you know, run out a ball, drop a drop a ball, whatever. They make mistakes. Pitchers give up home runs and stuff. Keep the video for the fouls and the home runs. You know? Yeah. But other than that, you know, because if you're going to have instant replay, get it right. That's what it's all about. It's still fascinating because even if it's in uh, hockey, it's the same thing. There's always going to be those things where it's inconclusive or whatever. And I can get that because in, in the NHL, is, it could be very hard, just a freaky weird kind of play, and they can't get the angle on or whatever. But that that... That thing the other night with the Mets. I mean, you can't just, it's all there. It's super slow mo. Oh, I'm going to lean in. Yeah. Well, and I just re- watched it. <laughs> and then they, you know, and they still got it wrong. I just, you know, I, I just realized something as we sit here and talk about this. Of course, you, I, I'm surprised that you're a big fan of replay because what's one of the most egregious wrongs in baseball history oh, that replay clearly. That Clearly Except showed. Game. Except that game. Clearly showed, Mr. Meyer I'm sorry. and Mr. Tarasco. Sorry. Okay. That talk about now that's something that's obviously worthwhile. It's in the playoffs. Did they have it? God did they say. have it back then? Of course they did. Huh? They must have had some sort of replay. It's not just not it hasn't been since twenty fourteen. But everybody and their mother knew that was a bad call, except you I know, don't know. workers. I don't know. Come on, he reached over call. the he reached over the wall and took the ball out of his glove. Yeah, Last time know, I the, checked, the, the, the fans are allowed to be in certain parts of the you know of you the can't space. Fear that the ball in play, my friend. Well, near the home run walls, no, no. they can. You know what? Credibility lost. You're there done. No, there were no. Fans You're done. I played the other day. Objection overruled. By the way, a uh, good friend of the Honcho's program, Long Island Zone, Pat Sikora, was he was he's the biggest Mets fan I know, and even he was pissed off that they got it wrong in the Conforto call. He said, "If we, I'm ashamed to be a Mets fan, and if we win the pennant this year because of that game, I'm not going to be happy about it." Nah, and that's hold on, tell, tell Pat that's a little too deep. Don't you should be ashamed just to be a Mets fan, period, not just that call. Okay, so let's start. There. <laughs> The opinions of Paul Cuthbert do not necessarily represent the opinions of Robert Cuny or the sports honchos or Go Sports Media Company Incorporated. Thank you. No, you, should, you shouldn't be ashamed. Of you got to be, as a fan of the game, you got to be ashamed of the league. That's what you got to be ashamed of. That's what the joke is. Hey, the, the Mets, it's like me joking around with the Yankees and the, and, the, and the catch, you know, the fan in the field and we win the series. It's like, oh, we're fans. We're laughing all the way out into the streets and celebrating, you know. Mets right. fans, you know, and that was the thing too, man. The way the Mets reacted to that win. It was creepy. Look at the Creep. highlights. Yo, it was creepy. Those guys acted like they had just won the World Series. And they just won a game illegally. 
and they're jumping all over the place. Perhaps like they this... were celebrating the fact that they got away with something, <laughs> and not so much. See that they what the Astros have team. done to this league. See, yeah, no. cheating mentality. Anyway, Pat, don't feel ashamed Astros. because of that play. That's the league's fault. Okay. You By the way, other uh, issues because you're Mets fan anyway, but you're Astros. not an Orioles fan, and that's another issue. Yeah. And uh, what can only be described as karma, speaking of the Astros, Altuve, Bregman, and three other players are uh, not might not be COVID, but they're on, they're out, they've been pulled because of safety protocols from tonight's game. Um, it didn't say whether they had COVID, but it's might be contact tracing. Who knows? But uh, the COVID bug seems to have hit uh, the Houston Astros. That that news just came over the wire this evening. Who so, are they playing? Stay tuned. I'm looking for the story now. <laughs> well, I, so. you just go to the MLB app and find out who they're playing. I am. Okay, Altuve and Bregman. Uh, they are out. So it's uh, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, Martin Maldonado, and Robel Garcia on the injured list as a result of health and safety protocols. Um, so they will not be playing against the Tigers. So Good. So well, we'll I mean, see. Look, I don't. I will hope they're okay. I don't want them to get sick. Yeah, I don't want anything bad to happen. And that, that just came that. out of me, isn't that? See that? See us Yankee fans? Astros. See what the Astros have done to me? I oh, just wished. I wished ill on those guys. And that's <laughs> just not me. That's, yeah. I'm, I. You know. I don't know if I should apologize. I don't know if I should be like Pat Score right now and feel ashamed of myself. I heard an interview today with. Uh, have you? You've. Have you seen or followed John Boy on Twitter? How can you not know about John Boy? Yeah, he's the guy that um, actually had all the. He footage. has like seven or eight podcasts, like I do. He has he's the, a little the, more successful than I am. He has the footage of. Um, he helped break the whole cheating story on the Houston Astros, and he was talking about how Game Three at home they had their all their their everything set up, um, their replay and and all, all everything ready to go. And then for some strange reason, because every team has a, you know, has their video rooms set up. For some strange reason, uh, knowing they were coming back the next day for game four, they still, as the game was over, took all that equipment down, dismantled the entire room, only to put it back up again uh, the next day. So, and you can see that, by the way, on the DVD of that World Series. (laughs) So, um, it's just... It just I bring that because just more ridiculousness to come out of that story. Um, and even after they realized that it, that cheat, the trash can thing wasn't going to work, there's no reason to believe they didn't go to the whole, you know, electronic monitor that Altuve was trying to cover up when he said it was a tattoo. Way to go, problem. Major League Baseball. So anyway. Anyway, uh, one bright uh, spot for the Major League Baseball. Uh, yes. Tomorrow is Jackie Robinson Day. Yes. Okay. Celebrated across the league. Uh, what can we say about Jackie Robinson? Incredible. No, nothing we can say. Make sure you uh, make sure you write a number forty-two on whatever you're wearing tomorrow. You know, I have a question. Right? Did you watch? You're a movie guy. I'm a movie guy. Did you watch forty-two? Yes. The movie? I did. I did. I did. Have to see that yet. It Is was. It, it was. Ver- it was very good. And and it's you know the great Chadwick Boseman, the late great. Yes. Um, he was great. And Harrison Ford is Branch Rickey, an unrecognizable Harrison Ford. Um. Very good, very good. It's 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 worth your time. Um, are they still? Do the players all still wear the number forty two on Jackie Robinson Day like they have in previous years? And I believe the we'll grandfather. Find out 
We'll find out tomorrow. Yeah, those players who were allowed to wear 42 have been all grandfathered out now, so we don't have anybody that still wears it. I know Lenny Webster, because he played for the Orioles, was one of the last to actually wear that officially. Um, and so that's a cool day when they're all wearing the same number. Okay. You know, all right, what do you baseball say, uh... abandoned, has not abandoned all of its traditions. Yes. Only some of them. Hanging on to a couple. <laughs> Hanging on to a couple. Um, yeah. There is some... Uh... <sighs> it's April. We got football news. Oh, my God. Couple items here, Mr. Uh, Cuny. You'd like to run through uh, a couple topics here. Uh, Julian Edelman. Uh, I believe you have an yeah. update on Deshaun Watson. I'm, everybody's waiting to hear about that creepy stuff. Yeah, um, um, I'm going to do. I'm going to do Deshaun first because the, the Edelman one is is much more serious, and it's not just about football. And I wanted a, a few minutes on Edelman because it's about something near and dear to my heart. But let me just do a quick update on the Deshaun Watson. Case, which is now up to 22. 22. 22 uh, women have alleged that there's been everything from, you know, uh, inappropriate contact to forced sexual contact. Um, uh, it's stop, all awful. Stop, please. No, I'm just, I'm not going to details. Just, it's, just, it's all awful. Anyway. Just, yeah, uh, get to the story. The, Thank you. One of the lawsuits has been dropped. Um... One of the accusers has dropped her lawsuit. Is that his sister? Um, yeah. The, the courts have, are making – one of the issues that Rusty Harden, the lawyer for Deshaun Watson, brought up was all these lawsuits were filed anonymously as Jane Doe's the plaintiff. And he said, and reasonably, unfortunately, it's, it's a reasonable position, we can't defend ourselves if we don't know who these women are. So the court is slowly revealing, at least, again, not to us – but to Watson and his lawyers, um, revealing who these women are. So the cases continue. Uh, one police investigation has been opened. So, yes, one lawsuit is dropped, but that still leaves, you know, 21 others. Um, Rusty Harden has recently said that these acts, instead of denying that anything took place, he said that a lot of these acts were consensual and mutually desired. Again, I don't know anything more than what we know as people reading this, but it seems to me that if you're trying to build a case for your client and there's 22 women all saying the same thing, that admitting publicly that it was consensual, kind of digs yourself a deeper hole. You know, Nike has already dropped him. And, you know, when Nike drops you, you've really, you've really overstepped your bounds if Nike says even you're too much for us. Um, so he's in trouble. There's just no way around it. There's a lot of smoke here. It's not just he said, she said. I realize that Watson has 22 women saying he's evil, and Harden said, well, there's 18 other massage therapists that think he's a great guy. But still, it's now come down to not whether Watson did it or not, but even his own lawyer is saying, well, yeah, he did it, but it was consensual. It sounds to me like, not only will Watson not be traded by the Texans, but there's a good chance he might not be starting the season playing for anybody. And the fact that the NFL has done absolutely nothing except, quote, open investigation is shameful. I mean, they got to do something. They, they just can't walk around like nothing's happening and saying, well, we'll wait till he's charged with something or we'll wait till the trials are over. This is a bad look for a league that is desperately trying to repair its image with women and attract more female fans. All right, so. on that note, what you're saying there, yes. uh, all right. Um, I don't know. I just haven't seen a lot of um, – I haven't seen a lot of reporting on this. 
mm-hmm. where it's a, you know, national type of a headline. You know, I, I hear you talking about, you know, how, uh, you know, the league is trying to improve its, uh, you know, image and all this other stuff. And, you know, even the, even the, um, your little guy there in, in uh, Washington, you know, and all those out, that, that story's kind of going under the rug too. As far as right. the allegations, you know, the, the cheerleading team and everything else. So, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know if enough people are hearing it because it doesn't seem to really be out there on the – nobody seems to be tracking it down. Nobody seems to be making more of a big, big deal of it. I haven't seen it running across, um, you know, the tickers on, on ESPN. I haven't seen really any coverage on it on any sports networks. Hasn't been coming up on local broadcasts, uh, you know, outside of obviously uh, you know, uh, that area. So – I don't know, man. I wonder, you know, you talk about how the NFL, what I'm getting at is the NFL is also pretty damn good at keeping things quiet. Yeah, the, the NFL has a problem on its hands. First of all, the, their broadcast partners like ESPN, who knows if they're not told to tamp down the coverage of these kinds of things. I don't know that for sure, that's but a, again, definitely they're broadcast partners. But the problem is, this is a league that promotes, you know, breast cancer awareness and they put out they have their players do public service announcements on domestic violence, which is wonderful. Uh, by the way, I'm not trying to, you know, not condone that. But they can't do that on the one hand, then on the other hand have these the optics of allowing their owner, allowing an owner of theirs, Dan Snyder of the Wolfskins to bypass their rules about how much money you can borrow against your franchise to get full control of the team when his team has been nothing over the last year, but nothing but an embarrassment to the league and not just an embarrassment, but an embarrassment in the world of, you know, uh, sexual alleged sexual assault, misconduct by the employees, the cheerleader scandal. I mean, it's endless. It's an endless parade of misogyny coming out of Wolfskin Park in Ashburn, Virginia. And then this with Deshaun Watson, one of the faces of the NFL is clearly in hot water here. No matter what I mean, look, they have a history of of doing more with less. They did it for Ezekiel Elliott. They did it, you know, 17 years ago with Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know what they're waiting for, but to do nothing. And you're right. The coverage of that seems to go away because a lot of people feed off the buffalo that is the NFL. They got something. Otherwise, everything they do is going to come across as being even more hollow and more shallow and more meaningless than it already is. And God help the NFL if it turns out that everything these women allege is correct and this guy is a serial, you know, sexual assaulter who well, has how, obviously how, bigger problems. But how do you how do you see that, Rob? The power, the money, the stature of the NH, NFL. If this one guy, if these allegations are true or whatever, they're just going to be like, they're going to disown this guy. They're going to say it's the individual. It's the person. It has right, nothing to but, do, yes, he was an employee or he played for the for the team and the league and everything like that. But you know he's just going to get, they're going to brush him aside and they'll no, move the, on. Yeah. I don't see it stopping the league in any way. Look, um, this, the dogs are going to bark as Chris Knocky color commentary for the University of Maryland Terrapins basketball team says the dogs bark and the caravan rolls on. Yes, everything you said is true. The NFL is going to disown this guy. <laughs> All right. They're going to give him the, you know, Fredo on the on the mouth, open mouth kiss from Michael Corleone and then, you know, shoot him in the head and he's on a fishing boat. Spoiler wow, alert for those I, that I haven't seen that Godfather 2. That's a little extreme. What you have Metaphorically seen really speaking, you go, 
You know, I say something, and then you go like to another level, man. What is metaphorically speaking? What is going on, man? But it's the bigger problem for the league. Is yeah, okay, fine. We got rid of this guy. He doesn't play for us. We disown him. We're taking his face off all marketing materials. Whatever they're going to do, but they still have a problem on their hands with how'd you let it get this far? And what happens to the next guy? So it's not just about divorcing themselves from Deshaun Watson. It's about divorcing themselves from this image of we just tolerate whatever it is until we absolutely have to do something. And you can trumpet all all you want about how great it is that there are you know women coaches and women general managers and team presidents in the NFL and look at the advances we're, made, we're making. But then it all comes back to, yeah, but you let your players run roughshod over the rights of women. That's the problem. You know, the problem is we're spending way too much time on Deshaun Watson here. Yes. And I think what you were talking about earlier, what you could do is you could have the Rob Cuny Deshaun Watson podcast. Almost like, you know, those crime podcasts. They're very, very popular. I think it would should, be. I think we should do this. I barely have enough for one episode. Really? Yeah. I think I mean, you should I, do it. I don't, I, I, don't, I know very much, not much more than what I've just talked about here. But look, I, I don't want to. We're getting way over time on this, and I don't want to leave without talking about Julian Edelman because this I is know. very Go. important. Boom. Look, Julian Edelman retired, which is very sad from a football standpoint. Let's just spend a second on his his resume, second all-time uh, in Patriots history in uh, receptions, a fourth in receiving yards, and so on. Second all-time in postseason receptions behind someone you may have heard of named Jerry Rice. He's certainly not a Hall of Famer. If there was a Hall of Very Good, he'd be in it. As a postseason player, he was spectacular. His best catch is one of the great catches in Super Bowl history, the catch he made against the Falcons that was literally a piece of paper width away from touching the turf. Okay, His fingers were right enough under the ball, and with every with, there was a thousand replays, a thousand angles, and they couldn't find any way to say he didn't catch the ball. It was an amazing fingertip catch that turned the game around and allowed the Patriots to win that Super Bowl against uh, the Falcons. And then a couple years later, he was the MVP of the Patriots' last Super Bowl win over the Rams. Okay, now we have that out of the way. The, the reason that for me, on a personal level, I take notice of this is – in addition to being, and I, I joke a lot about my people, okay, but Edelman is Jewish, and he is the most prominent Jew on the most prominent team in the most prominent sport. He plays for the New England Patriots in the NFL. That carries a lot of weight. And no one, one thing that Edelman does that no other athlete, and let's face it, athletes have a gigantic voice in this country, whether we want to believe it or admit it or own it or not, they do. No one outside of Edelman discusses and brings to the forefront anti-Semitism. Everyone, all these leagues act like anti-Semitism doesn't really exist, that it's not really racism. And I understand that the victims of anti-Semitism, 99.9% of them are white. And there's this stigma, this impression that if you're white, there is no such thing as racism. And, and I'm not going to travel down that path except to say in sports, and we saw this with Myers Leonard. It's also the same when, when, when you talk about people being homophobic, but that's, that's for another day. Very few athletes, prominent athletes, step to the forefront and talk about 
how insidious anti-Semitism is. There's no such thing as saying, well, one racism is worse than the other. They're all bad. They're all tied for first. If in the BCS of bad things, all kinds of racism are tied for first. Who was it that offered to educate Myers Leonard when he said his anti-Semitic rants on Twitch? It was Julian Edelman. When Deshaun Jackson put anti-Semitic remarks on his social media accounts, who was it that offered to take Deshaun Jackson to the Holocaust Museum and to teach him and to educate him? It was Julian Edelman. Now, I'm not saying Julian Edelman can't do that as a retired football player. Oh, by the way, even money says he somehow winds up with the Buccaneers next football season <laughs> yeah. to join his Ingleside roommate, Tom Brady. Yeah. And we'll discuss that next football season. But it's one thing when you're retired. Retired athletes have a certain amount of cachet. I get it. But when you're playing, when you're still in the spotlight and you're still one of the best players on the team, it's just the weight that your voice carries is so much more present than when you're a retired player. And I, it just saddens me again because, shockingly, there aren't that many Jews that play professional football or any of the professional sports. And so those voices are important because we hear about a couple instances of anti-Semitic behavior. I'm sure there's a lot more of it in all of the sports. And I feel like the four major leagues, you don't hear much about it with the NHL, but in baseball and NBA and football, not enough is done from a league standpoint to punish compared to other forms of insensitive behavior. So it just it saddens me because until somebody can step into that void for Julian Edelman, another prominent NFL player who happens to be Jewish, I just fear that what's being swept under the rug will be swept under the rug more now that Edelman is retiring. So great career. You know, loved seeing him play. Former Kent State quarterback turned wide receiver. But on the bigger stage, his loss is going to be more painfully felt. So... I just wanted to get that out there. That's a very personal sort of thing to me. Sorry to be so serious and to bring the show down. but No, not at all, man. It's some smart shit you're talking, man. It's all good, and I get where you're coming from. It is important. I wish there were more guys like Edelman out there. I mean, that's that's unfortunately what sports needs, and not in, not in just sports, believe me. Um, but no, that's uh, that's not a downer, man. It's, it's some smart stuff, Yeah. Um, and I, 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 hope, I appreciate I hope. you talking about it. I hope he, he, he uses his platform as a now an ex-football player to continue to help people become more sensitive to anti-Semitism. And again, I, I, but again, I think that even money says we'll see him back in the NFL <laughs> somehow, some way, because he retired because he failed his physical with the Patriots and was going to be waived. So he just said, I'll just go ahead and retire. But, you know, Gronkowski said the same thing. Oh, and- man, I, I would go join that party down in Tampa Bay. Tomorrow. I mean, why not? They they have they're probably as good a chance as any to to win the Super Bowl again this year. So yeah, I mean, why not? You know, I mean, especially since uh, you know, you know, the Saints are done. In fact, they're yeah. uh, making a movie now about Sean Payton. Can you talk to me about this? Yeah, why? I why I I, I can't why? believe well they're so Netflix well, is, is Kevin making James a movie playing them. The guys yeah. from Queens, New York. Yeah, and and. and uh, okay, if you look at them side by side, exactly. I love I love Kevin James. I I like to think he's my he's my spirit animal, but I can't see Sean Payton, a a fit, 
trim former quarterback being played by Kevin James, who's a man of larger carriage. I mean, I realize he's gotten himself in better shape lately, but he's still a big guy. Somehow, for some reason, he's decided to shave his head, which is disturbing. But he's a comic actor playing Sean Payton in a movie uh, based on – so it's being produced by Adam Sandler. And it's wow. a movie – it's a movie about – so it's kind of all the Adam Sandler people, and it's a happy it's a happy I love production. Adam. I love Kevin yeah. James, too, as comedians. The, the filming, the movies lately. Yeah. I don't know that he's going to be in it. But anyway, it's about the time that Sean Payton spent when he was out of football. He was an assistant high school coach uh, during the 2012 season while he was suspended from the NFL because of the whole Bounty Gate mess where they were yes. players were being paid to I remember it well. take out other players. So they're going to make a movie about it, obviously a comedic movie, and they have uh, – I'm interested What's to see NFL if it's going to be any What's the going to do about physical... that, Mr. Cooney? What are, they, what are they going to do about that? They didn't think it was funny. No. Uh, yeah, that's another thing. What's the worst – I guess the comedy aspect is – professional Super Bowl winning coach and assistant coach in a high school team. Thank God it's not a series because the current series on Netflix starring Kevin James about him being a pit boss for a racing team, a NASCAR team. Again, the guy from Queens down south. What's going on? Right. So it's it's terrible. I hope – I don't I don't have high hopes for this movie. I got to tell you. I I don't see it. I I, I love Kevin James. A curious choice. Um, and Peyton, oh, here's a quote from Peyton. Peyton told ESPN that he believes the movie will have a, quote, humorous Adam Sandler spin and will be more inspired by real-life experience than exact retelling. Yeah. Does he know that Kevin James is going to portray him? Again, I, I can't wait to see the physical transformation of Kevin James. Lovable Doug Heffernan on The King of Queens to Sean Peyton. Uptight uh, football coach. Who always looks like he's sucking a lemon when you see him on the sideline. Is Snyder going to be in this movie too? Little Danny Snyder? No. No. God, I hope not. What's what's wait? What's uh what's his face's other buddy? Sandler's other buddy. But if he buddy. is, I'd like to play him. No, the other Sandler's other buddy. Oh, you mean oh Rob Schneider? I think yeah, I meant Dan Schneider. Schneider or the Wolfskins. Yeah, I'm that, that'd be funny if yeah, Dan yeah. Snyder was in it. I'm sure Rob Schneider will be in it. I'm he's sure David Spade will show up. You know how they make it a hit. Kevin James on the sideline, right, in the high school, and Rob Schneider comes up behind him and goes, you can do it! Right. Or going, oh, no, we suck again. <laughs> or shooting an Only arrow Only the best his... roles for Rob Schneider. That's what I say. All right, couple more. <laughs> um, one more quick thing here and then uh, on football, and then we'll do the Frozen Four, and then we got to head down to the, uh, the DOTW here. Um, Bills allowing full capacity at the stadium. This season, that's that's here in New York, in my right. state. That's great news. So if the Bills are doing it, um, that means the rest of us can do it. So the pandemic is officially over, ladies and gentlemen. Well, what I like about it is they're going to make uh, the the Erie County people are going to make. Um, you, in order to get into the stadium, you have to show that you've been vaccinated. That's and, that's going to be the trend now. They're right. already starting to do that. Nothing about kids because people 16, 16 and under can't get vaccinated so nothing and oh, no work oh the nfl will get it done by then but i think that's you know what football is an optional activity so if you don't have your vaccine no one says you have to get one but if you want to come into whatever high mark park whatever the new new era field is a new name to it some long convoluted name after some healthcare organization if you want to get in to see a bills game you have to be vaccinated you know what i, I have no problem with them 
laying down the law on that one. Right. No problem whatsoever. Good stuff. And good for them. All right. So you'll get season tickets to see the Bills next year. Sure. Me and you Absolutely. can both go because we're both vaccinated. <laughs> That's right. We That's right. Vaccinated I'll, be, honchos. I'll be marching in, high-stepping into the stadium in my, mar- my drum major outfit, laughing at those who are anti-vaxxers. But I got the Johnson & Johnson in one, so we got to keep an eye on me. No, well, uh, so it might be the sports honcho. Oh, that's terrible. Future. That is not fun. All right. Hey, uh, but, but the good news is there's no tears with your Johnson & Johnson. Wow. Ring the bell again. Go ahead. Ring the bell. There you go. Thank you okay. All right. Uh, what's your great story about the Frozen Four and uh, the Minnesota uh, sports anchor? Um, anchor. Just – Real quick, so UMass, congratulations, UMass Amherst. Zach Jones, the, Ranger, congratulations. Right, 5-0 over St. Cloud State, which is a great name for a college, by the way. Sure St. Cloud State. Anyway, in the semifinal of the Frozen Four against Minnesota Duluth, which UMass won 3-2, um, the game was going on while the this local TV station in Minnesota was doing their sports report, and they can't, because they're an affiliate and the game was still going on, they couldn't actually show highlights. So the anchor, Sam Ali, or Ali, A-L-I, decided rather than just talk about the game with no pictures, and if you get if you Google this, you can see the pictures, he hand drew, <laughs> hand drew <laughs> the the arena, and then he hand drew uh, a, a stick figure for UMass with a smile on his face, shooting a puck past a stick figure from U, uh, Minnesota Duluth with a frowny face, watching a puck go by him in the net. It looks like something a five-year-old would have drawn. Awesome. And it was so funny. He even couldn't stop laughing at himself when he showed the highlight. Um, He even drew a lamp that had been lit from a goal being scored. Um, It was just, it's, it's great stuff. It's, it's a a guy not taking himself too seriously and saying, you know, we don't have highlights. Okay. Hey, why don't we just make up our own? And he drew them. So you can get the, um, you can on YouTube. You can see the highlights, the clip of him with the the drawings. It's really spectacular. I so, am definitely I check that, that out. That deserves some mention. That's something the, that we would do. I like that. That's, that's yes. That's right in our wheelhouse. You know. And the best thing is, it wasn't even good drawings. I mean, you see him. They're such. It's just again, it's art that a five or six year old would do, which makes it even more charming. Fantastic. Bravo, yeah. Mister Minnesota Sports Anchor. Yep. That's what it says here in my notes. Minnesota yep. sports anchor. Sam Ali. Sam Ali. No relation. Well, it's now time for the Dope of the Week. Dope of the Week. That's awesome, dude. Hey, friends. The Gax Gang and I, as you know by now, spend countless hours each week in the basement of the Ghost Sports Media Complex to come up with each week's winner. And you can't. For absolutely no reward, save for our undying respect and gratitude, help pilot the show by nominating a Dope of the Week yourself. Use the hashtag DOTW on Twitter, at the usual spots, at Cuthbert Live, at Bitter and Rage, at Sports Honchos, at Go Sports Media Co. And who will be carrying the mythical Sports Honchos Dope of the Week Cup around the ice rink of shame this week? Aaron Wilson, NFL reporter for the Houston Chronicle. Let's go, Aaron! Or should I say former NFL reporter for the Houston Chronicle? Wilson covered the Houston Texans for the Chronicle, so he has been a bit busy these days trying to make sense of the ongoing twin towers of stories involving Texans quarterback, for now, 
Deshaun Watson. One, the lawsuits alleging sexual misconduct filed against Watson by almost two dozen women, and two, his desire to be traded out of Houston, a story which, understandably, has been backburnered for the time being. He has been so busy covering these stories that he apparently has no time to catch up on world events or take a peek at the internet. As a reporter, it is Wilson's job to report the news. Wilson reports, the readers of the Chronicle decide. That is journalism 101, friendos. Opinions are for the columnists and the readers. However, that line between fact and opinion is increasingly fuzzy these days, especially now the reporters have become more in demand on TV, radio, and social media platforms. On March 19th, Wilson appeared on the Greg Hill Show, clever name, on Boston's WEEI to discuss the Watson allegations. Wilson, who has been covering the Texans since 2015, has covered Watson's entire career and knows Watson well. He would seem to be a reliable source of information, free from bias and reckless conjecture. Or not. After singing Watson's praises to Hill and his co-hosts and describing the allegations as, quote, ambulance chasing on the part of Tony Busby, who is representing all the plaintiffs, Wilson uncorked this gem. And I believe we have a clip from the interview right now. In his case, you know, it's kind of like you don't, you know, you don't negotiate with terrorists. You know, people are demanding money. They're asking for money. The, it kept escalating. It, it kept going up and up and up. And you start talking about more and more funds. I'm not going to say how much it got to. But my understanding is, you know, that there was an admission that it was, you know, something, you know, just that it, this was, you know, just the money grab. Now, I play this game with my classes called the Um, Like, You Know game. It is a simple game designed to help make one a better public speaker and to become more aware of verbal crutches. The basic concept is the students make a speech, and every time one of them punctuates a thought with um, like, or you know, except in very narrow context, they get this. So the sheer number of you knows used by Wilson in that very, very short quote is enough to warrant him being the dope of the week. However, I will put that aside for the time being. The Japanese catch what Wilson called these women, and you can argue whether it was direct or indirect, but there can be no argument that he used the word terrorist. Terrorist. That is an emotionally charged word for everything from heated discourse to fanatic overreaction in any context. But in the last few years, that word has become a touchstone for anger and fear-mongering. It is not a word one should use lightly, and it certainly is not a word one should use to, dis to dismiss women who are claiming to have been sexually harassed and assaulted. Now, I understand that Wilson is not used to choosing his words carefully, nor is he employed in a capacity where he is expected to be a precise communicator. Uh, no, wait, I'm sorry, he is. Most people can hide behind the old poor choice of words excuse, but not someone whose job is manipulating the written word to communicate messages more effectively. And how big is the rock under which he currently resides? These are not the days in which public figures make light of these kinds of accusations. Naturally, Wilson was fired on April 9th after his comments finally made the way from Boston to Houston. Afterwards, Wilson issued the standard apology minus any reference to the war on terror. I believe we have that apology for you now. All right, all right, I apologize. Here's his apology. Really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I apologize unreservedly. You take it back. I do. I offer a complete and utter retraction. The imputation was totally without basis in fact and was in no way fair comment and was motivated purely by malice 
and I deeply regret any distress that my comments may have caused you or your family, and I hereby undertake not to repeat any such slander at any time in the future. All right, uh, so you might have sniffed out that that really wasn't Aaron Wilson or the sports editor of the Houston Chronicle. Here's the real apology, which you'll see is not that much more sincere. I made a mistake that I fully understand and own when I did not choose my words nearly carefully enough during a discussion on a March 19 radio program regarding the sensitive, complex, and controversial Deshaun Watson legal situation in the days following the initial filing of the civil lawsuits from women against him. My efforts to convey perspectives on the situation clearly demonstrated an unintentional lack of sensitivity to the serious nature of these type of allegations, and I sincerely apologize for my remarks. I didn't maintain my own high standards that I've established and applied during my two decades, covering many other similarly important and delicate situations in the NFL. I will proceed much more carefully going forward and learn from this moment. I am committed to outstanding journalism now and always. See, he is able to choose his words carefully, just not when he's on WEEI. And I almost forgot one more thing. Not only was Wilson's appearance on WEEI career suicide, but it violated company policy. No, the Chronicle does not forbid its employees to make schmucks of themselves in New England, but it does forbid its employees from appearing on an out-of-market media outlet without the express permission of the Chronicle. Wilson never sought nor received said permission, which only hastened his demise at the Chronicle. So... Aaron Wilson for awkwardly trying to make the jump from respected journalist to afternoon shock jock in one afternoon for being the least sympathetic character in a story that already has both Tony Busby and Rusty Harden in it and for making me actually get serious during this segment. You are the sports honcho's dope of the week. Congrats, Aaron. Your certificate is in the mail. Way to go, Aaron! Hoo-hoo-hoo! Ooh, what a dope! What a dope. Yeah. Comparing victims, alleged victims of assault to terrorists, that's, I don't know. Good luck to you. Well, there's, there's other words we could use besides dope. Yes, and there's, there's plenty of uh, high schools that could use a reporter for the NFL. Maybe you can work there. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Good luck to him. Good luck to all of us. Yeah, I might have uh, called him a dick, you know. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know. Yep. That's what I would have done. And speaking of dicks, it's sponsor time on the Honchos. Wow. We're going to squeeze this puppy in before we hit we the road. Sure, we sure are. Rob is uh, ready to go. I am. We'll fire this up. Let me find. Okay. We have so many different reads. I'll just pick one at random. Pick the good one, buddy. Hey, uh, support for the Sports Honchos is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for family for your family jewels. You know, Paul, the other night I was doing some south-of-the-equator grooming with a belt sander and some knitting yarn. You've got to get some help. <laughs> and I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way. I mean, a belt sander, knitting yarn, a rusty menorah, none of these things are working for me. But thankfully, Manscaped has come to the rescue with their redesigned electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, including the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes. You can take a longer shave. And as I tell you every week, friendos, if you're spending 90 minutes down there, you've got some serious problems. 
The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower, and one of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with the always exciting Quiet Stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand, Paul's favorite. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB technology. And if you're listening to me speak right now, and I, I certainly hope I certainly hope you're still out there, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Let's get that bush to tush clean. Get 20% off and free shipping. And free shipping, Rob. And free shipping with the code HONCHOS, H-O-N-C-H-O-S, at manscaped.com. Make your testies their besties. Remember, 20% off and free shipping. Yes, free shipping with the code HONCHOS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code, people, HONCHOS. Your balls will thank you. And we thank Manscaped for sponsoring this high-quality program. Thank you, Manscaped. Thank you. Go get some stuff. Go get it. Free shipping. Yep, free shipping. They got body wash. They got mowers. They got clippers. They got deodorant. They got lotions. Whatever you need south of the equator. They got it. They got it, baby. Manscaped, man. Yep. All good stuff. Go get scaped. Go get scaped. <laughs> I better send that over to them. Maybe they can use that. Hashtag yeah. scaped, says Rob. That's Go what get the deal is. All right, buddy. We've put another one in the books. It wasn't a perfect show. It was a good show. There were a couple snafus. It's maybe not be it might not be a time capsule chamber of commerce sort of show, but hey. You know, you know, it was still fabulous. It it was like it always is fabulous. Yep, it is. Any plans for the weekend, buddy? Except watching Um, the Capitals. I think it's almost Saturday now, in fact. Uh, But no, no real plans for the weekend. So, you know, just the usual hanging out. How about you? Any plans for the weekend? You got any gigs coming up? Not this weekend, buddy. Not this weekend, buddy. Wife's Mm -hmm. going out with some friends, so hang on. It's Hall Pass weekend. Yeah, yeah. It's called chilling at home. Yep. Talking right. to my little eight year old and my eleven cool. uh, year old. It's gonna be all good. But anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for listening, downloading, subscribing, and hanging with the honchos. We really appreciate it as always. And Mr. Cutie, please say goodnight to the folks. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thanks. We appreciate you. Don't forget to rate us, review us, subscribe, follow, whatever it is. Keep it locked and loaded here every Wednesday. Give us some love because we do love you. So this weekend and every day, be good to one another. Be kind. Be safe. And as always, peace. Hot shows out. <laughs>